Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Afronomics. I'm your host, Albert Zufak, Chief Economist for the Africa Region at the World Bank. We're here today to have a very special discussion, special because we will be looking back 10 years on African economic progress through the lenses of the Africa's Pulse. The Africa's Pulse is a publication done by the World Bank twice a year, and this essentially is how we monitor progress. We take the economic pulse of the continent. And 10 years ago, when the Africa Pulse was initiated, the world was fighting its way out of a global financial crisis that started with the subprime crisis in the U.S., had a contagious effect, including in Africa. But prospects were better for Sub-Saharan Africa than the rest of the world, mostly because of the lack of linkages between African financial system and the global financial system. So we were spared you know, by that crisis uh, a little bit because of our lack of integration. And uh, Sub-Saharan Africa quickly recovered from that crisis. In 2009, the growth rate, the average growth rate for Sub-Saharan Africa was less than 2%, and in 2010, it was close to 5%. So Africa actually recovered extremely quickly. So as the World Bank started publishing the Africa's Pulse, we were already starting to write the Africa's rising narrative. There was hope on the continent. There was a lot of expectation that high growth rates could be sustained for the whole decade and more. But right in the middle of that decade, we got hit by another crisis and a very severe one. When commodity prices all co-moved downward and prices collapsed, and most of our countries are still recovering from that big shock. Growth was not linear across that uh, decade, but overall, it has pointed to a lot of progress that has been captured by different editions of the Africa Sports. Last October, we published the 20th edition, and I'm here today with my colleagues, Shanta Devarajan, Punam Shuan Paul, and Cesar Calderon, who have led this important work over the last 10 years. Shanta Devarajan was the chief economist of the Africa region 10 years ago. Uh, welcome, Shanta. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Punam Shuhan Hall was uh, the uh, lead economist in the chief economist office of the Africa region when the Pulse series started and has worked on many of these polls. Welcome, Punam. Thank you, Albert. It's a pleasure to be here. And Cesar Calderon is currently a lead economist in my office and uh, the, the leader on uh, the uh, Africa's polls who has taken over from Punam. Welcome, Cesar. Oh, thanks, Albert. I'm happy to be here with all of you. Very good. So, as we start this discussion, there's one question on my mind. You've covered this decade. What, from your perspective, has really changed in Africa and what has remained the same? Shanta, you want to go first? Okay. Um, absolutely. I, I think what it, it, the 2008 crisis was coming off of a period when Africa had enjoyed relatively rapid economic growth. The growth rate the previous decade had doubled 
compared to the decade before that. And there had been improvement in macroeconomic policies. Uh, fiscal deficits were down, inflation was down. And when the crisis hit, I, since I was the chief economist at the time, panicked because I felt like all of a sudden the payoffs to all of these macroeconomic reforms had disappeared. Could be lost. Because yes. countries were, and these were painful reforms, they were not easy, and yet if the global economy was in a recession, there was, no, there was nothing to be gained. The th important thing is I was wrong. They did not reverse the reforms. Right. Right. Despite the fact that most other countries around the world were running larger fiscal deficits, stimulating the economies, uh, they were nationalizing banking systems and, and things like that, the African governments decided to stay the course. Right. Um, and I think that's what contributed to what you said earlier, which is that the recovery was much more rapid in Africa compared to other countries. That's right. And I think that overall macroeconomic stance has continued. To this day, despite the fall in uh, commodity prices and, and so on. That's absolutely right. Macro framework has clearly improved you know, since uh, the uh, uh, early 2000, clearly. So I think that is definitely is, is a change yes. from the past. And what has remained the same, Shanta? Okay. I, uh, the, <laughs> what has remained the same, and, and in many ways, now that the macro has improved, its importance has grown. Mm -hmm. is weak governance. Right. We've known for a long time that there have yeah. been problems with governance in, in various African countries. But I think what we're seeing today in Africa, including the Im impact of the fall in commodity prices, is that governments are not in a position to prepare for a crisis. That's right. Because the, the governance situation is such that there are too many demands, short-term demands on the resources when there's a boom. That's correct. So um, governance challenges seem to have not changed over the years. And some would actually say it has worsened. That worse. We'll probably come back to that in the discussion. But let me hear from Poonam. You know, what, what, what has really changed from your perspective going through these years? Yeah, just to sort of build on what Shanta was saying, I think the 2000s, um, saw um, an improvement in macroeconomic performance and countries were building up fiscal space. There was um, debt relief through the HIPIC and MDRI initiatives. Right. So actually countries entered the global financial, African countries entered the global financial crisis in um, much is, better shape. No, strong yes, position, yes, absolutely. Than some, yeah. some other countries. Yeah. However, one of the things that I see that has changed, and this is on the downside, is that debt vulnerabilities have risen very sharply in African countries. Mm. And I should say it's not just African countries, it's actually countries across the world uh, in, in developing countries, sorry, in other developing regions. Um, and you find that uh, public debt burdens actually continued to decline through say 2013, and after that there's a sharp rise. Um, and now we are finding that the number of African countries that are in high risk of debt distress uh, is much larger. It's doubled since the numbers in, in 2013. Now, this is a real challenge for the region because um, with rising 
debt vulnerabilities, it's more difficult to be able to borrow in markets. Uh, the structure of debt has become riskier in terms of non-concessional debt, more non-concessional debt, and um, also in terms of shorter maturities. So I think there's a challenge there, and this tends to weigh on the development prospects of African countries. So it's really something that needs to be addressed. And I should say that uh, some of this increased borrowing was to um, meet large infrastructure needs. That's correct. So it was needed. But I think it also puts attention on the fact that countries need to grow. Where is this investment going? Is it going to productive uses? Are countries being selective enough in terms of the investment that they're undertaking? Um, I mean, there are many drivers of debt vulnerabilities, but these all need to be factored in. And we do know that in some cases, uh, countries are really struggling and uh, the issue of of debt has again come to the forefront uh, for for these countries. Clearly, that's something that has changed. It's a, it's a big, bigger trend. Uh, and 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 yes, in the 80s, Africa has actually gone through a complete collapse in investment, and the need for infrastructure mm -hmm. was clearly glaring. And I think we're still facing that issue, and 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 linking the debt discussion to infrastructure is actually a very, very important point that you're making. But, but Puna, what hasn't changed from your perspective? Okay. Um, now, this is, again, another challenge. I think one thing that hasn't changed or perhaps has not changed enough is, is poverty. poverty. I think the challenge of poverty is really uh, there in Africa. Mm. And um, over time, you know, Af uh, poverty, I'm talking about extreme poverty, is... Uh, becoming a predominantly African phenomenon mm -hmm. because other regions have managed to uh, reduce poverty at a much faster pace. China alone has, China, yes. has, has clearly right. taken more than 400 million people out of uh, absolute poverty in, in 20 years. And one of the things that I find concerning in the Africa region is that the number of people in extreme poverty today is much more than it was. The number was. is larger, yes. for sure. Uh, you know, in e either 1990 or, two, two, or 2000. Mostly so, because of uh, right. population growth. Right. And this is not to detract from the fact that there have been gains have been in progress. reducing poverty. So yeah. the incidence of poverty has declined, but mm -hmm. the pace has slowed and the number of poor are now more than we had, uh, you know, say 10 years ago. So one thing has clearly changed from Punam's perspective is debt. And one hasn't changed or changed in office poverty. Yes. Cesar, what do you see? Cesar, what do you see? Uh, I'm going to touch a little bit on what Puna was saying in the part of what has changed. And, and also what Shanta reflected in his comments. One of, the, one of the outcomes of this better macro management in Africa over the past 10, 15 years is the fact that many countries in the continent have improved their credit worthiness. Mm -hmm. And you see that to the extent that countries have been, some countries especially, have been able to go to the markets. That's right. Issue. European and, and issues have at a, increased. At a, yeah. at a larger maturity. We're talking about, I think nobody thought 10 or 15 years ago that a, an African country was going to tap international markets for a 30-year bond. That's right. We will never think that a country will a discuss. Billion dollars. Will this, and a country will discuss about it raising a century. That's right. They haven't Ghana done it has. yet, but there that was a discussion. discussion. Yeah. 
and along with that has to and along with that there has been changing the markets right? has been, i mean and that affects africa the change right. in the global environment That's correct. this second wave of liquidity has come to the market where the liquidity was not in the hands of the global banks anymore right it was in the hands of asset managers and asset managers yeah Asset managers, institutional investors, pension funds, people that were looking to searching for years and looking for assets, and they started buying our, our bonds. I'd say big change. That is a big change. So, what hasn't changed enough or changed at all from your perspective, Cesar? I think in the past ha- ten years, what hasn't changed a lot is that the fortunes of growth in sub-Saharan Africa are still dominated by the evolution of commodity prices. That's commodity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, uh, you know, it's, it's not a trivial point because uh, average GDP growth today in Africa is absolutely driven by commodity price changes. And that hasn't changed in the past 10 years. A uh, number of countries have been discussing the need to diversify, but it doesn't seem to be happening. I probably want to have your view on why it's so, you know, necessary, yet still difficult, so difficult to get diversification agenda to, uh, to, to, to work in Africa. What is, what is blocking it? Okay, I'll give you my view on that. Which Please. Is, well, first, one thing just to reinforce what Cesar just said, um, the number of countries that are oil producers has increased over time. That's correct. So That's it's right. not that commodity dependence has uh, remained the same. It's actually increased. That's true. And we have the new oil producers, the Ghanas, the Kenyas, the Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire. But it's not only a matter of you have more suppliers. You have also more demand. If you think about demand. China and India, exactly. new players into the market. That, well, that's why that that's, has, so it's a mix of right. both. That's why the prices have gone up. But I'd say when, and by the prices going up, then uh, you know profitability, right. you know, was was increased and and more and more projects became viable and more of them came yes. on street. Yes. But now, coming back to your your question, I think this is related to why Africa has not been able to diversify, because resource rents yes. are much more attractive to governments than tax revenue. Right, tax revenue you have to earn, you have to get the citizens to pay. That's right. Resource rents appear from the oil company straight to the government without having to be accountable for it. That's right. And that's what you, see, you observe. And in fact, this work that I'm doing with uh, Jim, Jim Cust, we show that during this boom, the commodity boom of, sort of the mid-2000s um, uh, till 2014, the, it's perfectly correlated with an increase in government revenues and an increase in government expenditures. And so it's actually reinforcing this weak governance, that governments don't want to be accountable to their people. And re- but to, to be competitive, you need to be accountable to your people to be able to get the employment gains that we, we need. So that's reinforcing the thesis of the resource curse. Exactly. Basically, uh, it, diversifying economies that are resource-dependent I like to say is is uh, akin climbing a downward escalator. Right. So it's it becomes more and more difficult. Yes. Yet uh, you know, yet you have to do it. Right. So um, it is it is a, a, a serious it, challenge. Yes. It's also like giving your your teenage kid the keys to the car. You lose control. 
That's true. That's, <laughs> that's true. So um, this is very, very interesting. And as I look at the topics that we have explored over the past 10 years uh, in the polls, some of these issues come back and some are quite recurrent, right? You know, the issue of poverty comes back, commodity prices, um, productivity, all the issues we are discussing here seem to be recurrent and have been addressed in the polls you know, multiple times as, as special topics. So my question to you guys is, you know, we didn't come back to those issues just because we wanted to, but probably because we had a new way of looking at it, a new data set, a new approach, you know. Um, you know, how has the thinking evolved over the past 10 years on these issues that we just discussed? Poverty, commodities, productivity, what has really changed in terms of thinking and how have we added value over the past 10 years? You want to start, Puna? Well, I'll start with uh, poverty because I sort of brought it up earlier as, as, as a big issue. Um, as, as you said, several issues of the pulse have uh, brought a focus or a refocus on, on the poverty uh, challenges and, and the poverty agenda. But I think they've sort of sliced it. And much of that, of what we have been reflecting, draws on the research that's, that's been ongoing, both uh, you know, in the Africa region and in the, in the bank through the WDRs also. Um, so there was an early um, issue of the pulse that uh, brought a focus on um, the lack of statistics. You know, to, to better understand poverty, you need to know what poverty looks like, where the poor are. Um, so you need robust information on that. Um, to inform policies and to have better services for those who are poor. Uh, later issues of the Pulse looked at uh, the link between uh, growth and poverty, what was the responsiveness of poverty to growth, and uh, found that um, in Africa this is much lower than in other parts of, of the world. Shanta is nodding because he was part of that Pulse and uh, contributed hugely to a lot of the thinking. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were other issues um, where we looked at um, where growth takes place matters. So these, you know, increase in income opportunities uh, need to, to be available to the poor. So these have to take place where the poor are, where in this case, you know, it's rural or, or in, in agriculture or, or other parts of the rural economy. Um, or farmers need to be, or people who are poor, need to be connected to these income opportunities. So there was a, a focus on that, you know, the, mm. the, the sector of growth matters. And then, of course, you've had a huge study recently on poverty, which sort of brings a lot of these issues together, lays out the agenda and builds on what are the sort of, um, you know, policies and, and priority areas to address poverty. Good. That's, a, that's an excellent point. Cesar, you want to say something on what has the thinking changed in those issues, productivity, for example? You just finished a big report on boosting productivity in sub-Saharan Africa. How is this different from how we were looking at productivity issues 10 years ago? The, I'm, I'm going to agree with Poonam that this is the case where the development of robust data has helped a lot, okay. especially the development of data at the microeconomic level. At the firm level, We're talking about the firm level, yeah. about the farm level, household level. That's right. Because now economists have been able to put productivity under the microscope. Mm -hmm. and realize that decisions that are taken at the unit level, at the firm level or at the farm level, can have an impact on aggregate productivity. And we need to, we either those, I mean, if we think about, for instance, a theory that has been developed, started being developed 10 years ago, 
but has become more like a like a farm industry of research. Uh, you think about issues on which one misallocation, misallocation, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can think about issues on managerial practices mm-hmm. and the yes. and the benefit of better managerial practices. Yeah. You can think about innovation. Yes, and there's a a, a a gamut of research that has been produced not only in academia but also has been produced at the bank that is helping us uh, have a better understanding on on the issue of productivity. But is And also is an issue that is providing hopefully a buying for countries to understand better the phenomenon and try to invest in data, that's in the right. production of data. That's right. I know that's 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 a, a, a fundamental point. And on productivity, I, I tend to believe that you know understanding productivity and its determinant and understanding it well is what makes us good development economists. I think it's fundamental for us to really, you know, understand productivity because ultimately that's the single most important determinant to long-run growth. So, you know, that thinking is evolving and and the focus on misallocation that we have in this report is actually extremely useful. And, and you know, there's one other Shanta. thing there's one other thing about data and its relationship to research and productivity is that our traditional view of trade comparative advantage and our favorite topic industrial policy mm-hmm. has been at the sectoral level right so we, you know the idea was this country should produce shoes and not electronics or not uh, right. services that was because that's all we had data on that's true today with data, firm level data as Cesar was saying we actually understand comparative advantage a lot better And it turns out it has nothing to do with sectors. Yeah. You could have within us the same sector you could have very highly productive firms and very poorly productive firms. That's correct. Which means I don't know whether that sector is the comparative advantage of the country or not. <laughs> right? So this is a really exciting time where thanks to richer data we're actually revising our theories. That's true. That's true. And coming up with different policy conclusions. I can agree more. I can agree more and and that is going to be even happening more and more as we move from trade of products to trade of part as mm-hmm. that has been actually driving you know global trade right as you know it's not it's no longer going to be competitive advantage of products it's going to be which component right so more and more and and that's certainly changing the way we look at things I should just say that the reason I smiled when Punam was talking about poverty and growth was I was reminded of this taxi driver in Senegal who once said to me I was trying to I was trying to explain the pulse to him. That's right. And he turned to me and said, "I can't eat growth. I can't eat growth. <laughs> exactly. That's right. You know, and, and we do we do hear that uh, uh, a lot across Africa, across African countries that are growing fast. You do hear that resounding uh, voice that you know we don't feel growth in our pockets. We don't feel it in our stomach, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, which is how it is important to ensure that growth is actually inclusive and one of the reasons why growth is not that inclusive in Africa is because it's actually not creating enough jobs because most of that growth has been coming from natural resource rents that are essentially capital intensive definitely yes. now let me ask you uh, the three of you what is the special topic of the polls that um, you wish you you had done 
Ustaz, Shanta or Puna? Well, I'll say the one that I mentioned at the very beginning, which is governance. Governance certainly I, hasn't been a focus I, uh, and topic. In, in that's particular, a good, that's a good sort one. of the recent, the recent trends in governance. I think we're seeing some very dangerous developments, not just in the U.S. and Europe, but also <laughs> in uh, in Africa, where you have these leaders who pledged to serve two terms. That's right. Now. Changing of constitutions. Changing their minds yes. and changing their constitutions and going for president for life. And, uh, and, and why is that dangerous? Right. Mostly because it's, it erodes institutions, Absolutely. which it are a key determinant of growth. And the accountability, again, That's right. for, 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 for performance. That's right. And also, That's right. frankly, in many of these cases, you notice that there's a very high correlation between a leader wanting to stay on and the discovery of oil in that country. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> we know why they want to extend their terms. So that's certainly one area to look closely into. So, Buna, um, I any special topic you I, wish you would have done? I, um, If I recall, I don't think we did a topic um, on um, domestic resource mobilization. I think this whole issue of... Um, public um, financial policy is really important and tax policy and what it can do in terms of incentives, in terms of allocation of resources, as well as being able to support, uh, you know, um, development priorities. So I think uh, from what I recall, I don't believe we did one on that. And I think mm. it'd be really important, um, especially given all the sort of challenges to growth that, that countries are facing. and. Uh, in terms of even availability of official development finance for, right. for our poorer countries and being able to tap into markets. Markets can be volatile. The cost of borrowing is going up. So what could we do on the domestic resource mobilization front would be? That's an excellent suggestion. And let me reassure you that, you know, before the end of next year, we would have a special topic on that. Why? Because we are finishing a big regional study on natural resource rents. Okay. And... Uh, you know, working with uh, my colleague Jim Koss on this report on making African extractive part of the transformation of our economies. Excellent. So that would certainly come later on as a special topic of the past. Okay. Cesar, anything you wish you would do in the future? I think, I think the state of financial development in Africa requires an update. I see. The last time that we publish a report on the state of development in Africa was in 2011. Financial sector. Financial sector, sector yes. Yeah. And even though there was hints towards mobile money and fintech and all these new technologies, mm -hmm. <clears throat> it wasn't, the penetration wasn't that deep enough. That's correct. We find now, and, and, and the beauty of this with technology is that technology has led to innovative solutions in the region for the unbanked to access finance, the financial sector. What we, rec I mean, of course, the idea would be to analyze it in the Africa context and go beyond what is in the in the global fintech report, which is basically the data. But there's a lot of people that are working interesting things right. on on how to expand uh, financial financial access in Africa and right. using using these new technologies. And that's, Even, that's yeah. Even if you think about, for instance, some of the efforts that have been done within the bank with psychometric tests mm -hmm. as a way to solve the collateral problem, yeah. or digital loans. Or yeah. Cryptocurrencies. Yeah. 
No, but that's that's a very important topic, especially uh, the evolution is very asymmetric across the continent. Why we're seeing huge progress in East Africa and in some countries in 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 in, uh, in West Africa as well. Uh, you know, the financial sector is still quite uh, you know quite quite uh, uh, resistant to change in some African countries, and and uh, there's still a lack of competition, a lack of uh, innovation in in. In, in, in the financial sector in many African countries, especially in, on, you know, in the Francophone area. So I think that's important. But, but I think that's, that's another reason to do what Cesar exactly. was suggesting is that the, the, in this area, particularly mobile money, Africa is the world's leader. So Africa is showing the rest of the world how to innovate. Right? So we're not really talking about all the problems we're having in Africa. Here's, here's a, a story where Africa is showing people in New York City um, how to... Uh, I remember when I we were doing success stories in Africa, the M-Pesa story was actually one of the really good story, examples of innovation and, in, in, and it's still in a Africa. Success. It's yes. still a success, but what is even more important, Shanta, is it's about Africa teaching Africa. Mm-hmm. Because... W- you know, that Africa's success story is actually driven by a couple of countries, and we need to understand why it's not being replicated all across the sure. continent. And, and yes, we need to make sure all African countries, you know, ride that, uh, that train. Anyway, that, that, that sounds extremely interesting. Now, let me probably move to one um, other question. Let's look forward. Yeah. So in the next 10 years, um, imagine yourself... Uh, you know, being in a position to uh, write the front page of the leading financial newspaper in 10 years. Well, if you were to write the, 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 the front page of the Economist or the Financial Times or the Africa Business Magazine um, about Africa, what would be your headline? What would, I, what would I wish the headline? Yes. What, the headline what do you like wish is, is, okay. the, is the, no, the, the I, headline you would want to write? Okay. Over the next 10 years, the biggest issue in the wor- facing the world are going to be global public goods, in particular climate change, but not right. exclusively that. And in all, for instance, in the discussion on climate change, what I find is we're always portraying Africa as the victim because they contribute very little to greenhouse gas emissions, but may be the most affected. And, and that's true, but the, the truth of the matter is the rest of the world hasn't gotten its act together to form that global coalition that is needed to combat climate change. Right. I want Africa to lead the global coalition. And I want to write headline 10 years from now how Africa helped bring the rest of the world together to mitigate climate change. That's extremely interesting. And that's possible. I think so. Shanta, because um, climate change is actually affecting Africa more and more severely. Right? Uh, On on the east coast of Africa, we are living through an alternance of drought and floods that are really bringing down our agricultural output. On the west side, we're seeing coastal erosion threatening our cities. In the Sahel, we see desertification coming down, threatening, you know, 
livelihoods in agriculture and pastoralist we're seeing conflict emerging from mm -hmm. climate change so yes africa can actually lead the world in really finding solutions to climate change and i think this is certainly something that may happen i hope Funa? oh well i think that was ambitious um and i will sort of up the ante and be even more ambitious and say that um i hope the headline will be that um the goal of uh, eliminating poverty was achieved and that Africa won the war on poverty because the war on poverty is going to be sort of won or lost in Africa. Most of the poor are going to be concentrated in Africa unless we do something, uh, do a lot to accelerate poverty reduction. It can be done. It's very ambitious. You'll have to have much higher growth rates than we are seeing right now, maybe multiples of what we are seeing right now, um, and a concerted effort to have more inclusive growth, um, as well as I think everybody pulling together. But um, you know, I think the youth of Africa are, um, hold the potential. They're dynamic, they're ambitious, and I think they, you know, they're better educated, um, are, are healthier, there's technology advances in digital technologies and other, you know, communications technologies. So maybe we could have a convergence of all these good things and good policies, um, you know, policy frameworks. So you would um, like to write that headline like write saying, that. Yes. you know, in, in 2030, yeah. Africa has pulled out yeah. 600 million out of extreme poverty. Yes. Wow. Wouldn't that be great? It would be great. And I wish we would have contributed <laughs> to that. Cesar. I was going to mention what Puna mentioned. I even had the headline, but I guess I'll have to change the story. Go I was thinking Take something about from combating to defeating poverty, but even though but that's not the it, case, just, I was thinking, yeah. I mean, and, and this is also a, an ambitious goal, which is that Africa manages to insert themselves in the midst of global value chains. That the policies are uh, the policies are set in our, in, in our countries to manage to go up the value chain. And the headline that I was thinking is Africa, the factory of the 21st century. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That's phenomenal. How about writing a front page about the largest company by market cap in the stock exchange in New York being an African digital company? Or the largest stock exchange, enough, mm. you know, largest ex stock exchange dominated by digital companies being in an African capital city. Why not? Well, I think as, the as next. As long as that contributes to the poverty reduction. <laughs> yeah, 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 poverty reduction. Yeah, of course. You could. You could. You Mark Zuckerberg of Africa and still a lot of poverty. Yeah, of course, but, but definitely. The next know, Google, the next could, Amazon could be in, in Africa. Yeah, Africa but they would have to pay some taxes, right? To get, make sure that, yes. you know, we make that growth inclusive. Yes. yes. Thank you very, very much. This has been a fun, you know, a fantastic discussion. We have just done 10 years of Africa's progress in review, and we have just looked through the lenses of our Africa's pulse. Um, a reminder to our listener, you can find all our recent publications at worldbank.org slash AFRCE, that's Africa Chief Economist Office. 
Uh, and for more, you can follow me on Twitter at Albert Zufak to share your views, questions, and ideas. Until next time, thank you.